Hello and welcome to the Reach Out for Mental Health podcast. I'm Sue Whiffin. Joining me always, Kirsty Eaton. You all right? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, not not too bad at all. Well, look, I'm I'm, I'm going to jump straight in here and uh, and and introduce today's guest because um, this is your first time meeting uh, our guest today, Kirsty. Uh, and and I've I've obviously been uh, uh, bigging her up uh, to you ever since I've joined the. Uh, the charity and uh, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce um, broadcaster comedian lovely human being Gail Porter hello thank you so much for having me lovely to meet you as well so yes how exciting is that well it's great it's good to talk about mental health and I love it it's great wonderful well before we do that like, and we've always got the question that we always start with. But before we do any of that, like, oh, do you know what? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start as we always start. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with a formula. We're gonna go off script. No, because I know what I'm like, and I know what Gail's like. We'll end up talking about something else for for, for the next twenty we'll end minutes. We're talking we'll, about we'll, ghosts. Like, <laughs> off scripts. I love off script. Oh, don't worry. Once we've got the first question out of the way, the rest of it will just yeah, be spiraling all over the place. Don't worry about that. Um. Gal, if I say the words mental health to you, what do you think? Um, misunderstood. Okay. People don't understand. They use it too frequently. And I think that people are very happy to throw mental health around, like the words mental health around, and not actually take it seriously enough. I think it's, 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 I mean, it's great that people are talking about it and it's great that we're getting the opportunity to open up what our experiences are. But I do think sometimes it's just thrown around a little bit too much. And, and, you know, I do a little thing in my comedy when I talk about me trying to get to a doctor and it's not funny because it took me almost five months to even have someone talk to me because I didn't have a physical injury. Uh, So, yeah. So mental health, I, I would just say it's, it's misunderstood and, um, misrepresented probably and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, as the podcast unfolds we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the fringe because I've not had a catch-up with you about that anyway so I want to know all about that uh before we uh before we wrap um and obviously we'll get on to the documentary you made which the the, the, the BAFTA award-winning documentary I should call it by its right name um which was incredible um but I want to sort of take you back first Gal and and I mean, I've had conversations with you about sort of similar stuff in, in, in the past on, on other podcasts, but um, can you remember, like, to, to tell us a little bit about you growing up and, and when you first had a, a feeling or an experience where you thought, oh, maybe I could be feeling a bit better than this, like nothing, I don't feel maybe as I should, or you, you, you realised that something wasn't, your well-being wasn't maybe where it should have been. I think I knew pretty early on, um, maybe early teens, that I knew that something wasn't right. And then there was a few incidents, just stuff that, anyway, and then things were kind of spiralling. And then I wasn't mentally coping with just everyday life. And then I'd started overeating, which was like, 
yeah, it was a comfort thing, but I knew something wasn't right. So I, I didn't want to speak to anyone. So I thought, well, my uh, my grandpa was best friends with the man that owned the best ice cream shop in the entire of Edinburgh. So he'd come back with like two litre boxes and then they'd put it in the freezer. And then when mum and dad went out to the pub or something, I'd just take it and go upstairs and eat the whole lot. <laughs> and then I started thinking, you know, you get told off for doing that. And I was thinking, why am I doing this? I'm obviously overcompensating for something and I don't know what it is and then you know someone would say something mean and then I started not eating there was always some sort of I needed to be in control of things because my mind was just it just didn't feel right and I was sad some days and I had no I didn't know why I was sad and I was crying and then the next day I'd be the happiest person and I had friends that would hang out with me and then friends that wouldn't because they didn't know where my mood was going to be does that make sense absolutely um I knew something was wrong. I knew something. Well, I knew think it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's different. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's an important thing you've just said there. And and I, I can totally relate to the the the, the eating. And you know, it, it, it's. I often think that I've never had any kind of mental health issues, but when I look at my eating, it's very apparent I've had lots of mental health issues. And it's just my way of dealing with them or trying to make sense of them and control them. I think what you said is, you know, it's something yeah, you can have control the, of. The overeating was like comfort. So yeah. you'd eat stuff that was like, oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. And then someone would say, oh, you look really fat. And then then you think, okay, well, I need to sort this issue out. And so my brain is just going, well, just stop. Just stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> there was no in between with me so I knew that something was wrong in my brain because it wasn't just like or maybe just not eat two liters of ice cream every single day <laughs> just go two liters two liters two liters nothing hunger strike and that's not normal it's not no what about well, your family? Whatever it, was, it was not it just something wasn't balanced did, did your family detect that something was amiss uh, we're Scottish we don't talk about things like that <laughs> <laughs> No, they just go. Uh, are you sad? Go to your room. <laughs> Put leave the ice cream though. Put that back. <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to kind of like you know. Uh, no, it, it was nothing that would come up in a conversation. I mean, I talked to my daughter about everything, and that's why she, you know she doesn't come to see anything that I do. She went, I heard it. So I think it's really important to say to my daughter, right, do you know what, if you've got this problem, eating, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, you talk about it, you talk to me, you talk to anyone. And uh, she's like, yeah, get it. So I kind of wished I had that with my mom and dad, but I didn't. They were very kind of, I mean, my dad never even acknowledged the fact that my arse was on a massive building. <laughs> really? He just he ignored it. Oh, no, no, don't know her. No. Oh. <laughs> Wow, yeah, that's Scottish. You was yeah. I'm, I'm I'm laughing at that and thinking, God, that's quite crazy because of the 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 furore and interest and you know how crazy that was when that happened. But then I just thought, mm, my daughter's twenty one. What if her ass was on the side of the Houses of Parliament? How would I deal with that? I think I might be quite Scottish about it. I think I well, might. I, be. I was like, I was about no, what was I? Twenty six, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a dad thing, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, I'd done enough. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you what I'd done before, but I mean, he dealt with me since, you know, I was born and well, he wasn't really around a lot. But then from 15, 16 onwards, he had to deal with all sorts of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, even care then either. <laughs> and, 
And I think, you know, saying that you had bouts of, you know, of crying and feeling low and then being happy and then overeating and then not eating. For me, looking in, the last thing that anybody that's experiencing those kind of feelings needs is to throw themselves into the world of fucking celebrity. (laughs) I know what I'm going to (laughs) do. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's... um, because I was thinking about this as well when I was writing and I was like, why? You know, why would I do this? But I did try a lot of jobs before and um, none of them made me happy. And then I think, I don't know what it was. It was just, it was back in the day when it started Top of the Pop. So I, I was thinking music, fun, you've got a microphone and then these were the days that you're not getting high. And it, it was a stupid, stupid um, sort of career path to take, to be honest, when you're feeling insecure and you're worried about what people are going to say about you and when you've got tabloids writing about you and your mental health is not great. But I just thought, you know what, I'm young, I'm going to do what I want and then then I'll crash and burn later. But I didn't think that was coming. But, um, yeah, I didn't really think about it. And also it wasn't planned. I wanted to be an editor. And then mm. it just sort of, I went for different jobs working backstage. And then someone said, oh, you should just just do this. Go for an audition. I was like, I don't really want to. And it kind of sort of snowballed. And I got caught up in the whole thing of, oh, amazing, amazing, until suddenly everyone starts attacking you. And then you think, oh, this is a terrible idea. What was I thinking? So I got caught up in the happiness. So that was great for my mental health because I was just like up here going, oh, my gosh, I'm doing a job and everyone's so kind and everyone's lovely. And then something bad happens or your hair falls out and then you are picked on and destroyed by the press. And you just think, oh, I didn't I didn't see that coming. So, yeah, but you learn a lot, I guess. But, yeah, it's not it's not the ideal industry to get into. I I can understand like the excitement of, of, like you say, being in your 20s and you're presenting you know top of the pops a show that we all would have grown up obsessing over and you're getting to be surrounded by all of these beautiful pop stars and it must have been the most exciting thing and and as as somebody that was watching top of the pops then and watched your career you know everybody loved you you was you was just you know that that me and every all me and all of my mates, we all fancy Gal Porter. Please just hit Adelaide. Please just hit. And 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 you were so likable, like everything that, that, that and 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 you know, and it's lovely that I've got to know you, and and you're still every inch that 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 lovable person, and 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 I think to it's perfectly natural to to want to be you know to, to, when you're given that opportunity and that's a rare opportunity that most people have loved to get and you got that and you run with it and it was super exciting but it was also at a time when you know gutter press like the news of the world and the sun were at their most fucking ruthless mm-hmm. and like and for somebody that was you know didn't uh, at times have the, the most i guess balanced mental health if i can say that like yeah. How how did you deal with you know when when people had a, a sort of the, the press had write a, a very unfavourable thing about you? I would tell you uh, on a Friday. So this is how we learn about the news of the world. I'd be okay Monday to Thursday, um, because news of the world was Sunday. So uh, you'd be all right Monday to Thursday and think, okay, I'm not too anxious. I'm not too anxious. Have I done anything wrong? 
wrong? Have I done this? I'm, oh, and you know, I'd be panicking about, did I wear something right? You know, because they print a picture of you going, oh, what was she thinking? Oh, she's put on weight. Oh, she's done this. Oh, it's just everything. But anyway, Monday to Thursday was okay. And then Friday, if you got a call at six o'clock on a Friday night, you knew something was coming out of the news of the world because what happens, I only learned this through doing my weird job, but at six o'clock on a Friday night, most lawyers have gone home. So, and people like me couldn't really afford lawyers as much as you think that what well, people thought we were earning loads of money, you'd get like 500 quid to do top of the pops, then your agent was whatever. But anyway, everyone thinks you're minted. But anyway, so Friday night, if the phone went after six o'clock, you knew that was someone from the News of the World or one of those trashy papers saying, do you have a comment on the story that we're printing on Sunday? And you're going, what story? And I mean, it could be something, nothing. It could be, they went, just to let you know, we are doing a story on you on Sunday. And it's Friday night. And you're thinking, well, I don't have a lawyer. I've got all day Saturday to sit and feel sick and just think, why Why have they picked on me? What have I done? And then it gets to Sunday and maybe nothing would be in. But they're just like, just like making sure that in case it went in, I've been informed. And so that's how it used to work. So anytime after six o'clock on a Friday, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. Because it was just like stupid things. Like, I don't know. I didn't really do anything but just the fact that they're watching you always freaked me out or they knew where you'd been or who you'd seen or I don't know. So, yeah, it was not good. Mental, mental health ways, that was not good. So if I may interject, so obviously, you know, this kind of system is well known within yeah. showbiz and the people that work within it. And, you know, I think it would be naive to say that you would have been the only person that's struggling with their mental health at that time. So did you have any kind of confidence that you could speak to, that you could confide in, that, that you would trust, that you could be vulnerable about your mental health in those days? Well, I did for a little while, but then stuff kept coming out in the press. And then that's when we realised that our phones were being hacked. So you couldn't speak to anyone. Oh so you couldn't, you couldn't call anyone because you didn't know. And there was someone outside your house taking photographs of you going to the shops. Or when I was sectioned, there's people outside where I was sectioned because my phone had been hacked, so they knew where I was. When my mum was dying of cancer, there was people outside my mum's ward because my phone had been hacked. And I didn't know, so I stopped talking to people. But I didn't, I didn't mistrust someone, but I just thought, is someone maybe just chatting? And yeah. so I just, you know... My chats went from, oh, my God, I'm really feeling terrible, to going, no, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. What are you doing today, Gail? I'm going to stay in the house all day. Because I'm thinking, who's saying, who's saying what to who? I don't know. It's just, yeah, it was not cool. That, was that, not that's terrifying. It, it must be so claustrophobic because you just become so insular because you don't know who to trust. And, who's... and you get a sense of paranoia. Yeah, I still won't have people stay in my house at all. I mean, also, I love cleaning. And if people come in and they're dirty, they're, oh, no. But no, I just don't like people. I don't I don't like it. It's fine if I'm out and it's okay. But I still get a little bit paranoid about things. And, you know, there was a lady yesterday when I was sitting having lunch. I was doing an interview with someone, but not about my life or anything. It was something different. And there was a lady on her phone and I was watching, and the girl was watching as well. She was my friend, and we're both sitting there going, I, I just, like, is that, is she, because she put the phone next to me, and I was like, oh, my God, is she listening? 
I was like, how are we living like this? This is nuts. And then I looked at her phone and I went, no, she's Googling how to get to Googe Street. <laughs> how, how do you think the, because, you know, if we're looking at the, the years that we've spoken about, you know, being predominantly the sort of mid, mid to late 90s, you know, after that, we've seen the the onslaught of, of social media. How do you think that's been on the whole for people's, mental health and how has it affected yours I think well I use social you know how how I use my social media I just do like I'll send you stuff to do with Alan Partridge (laughs) and I was like oh you like it Gal I've got to tell you there's a meet and greet with him as Alan in Norwich we've got to go oh my god we've got to go There's so many nice things that can be done with social media. So, you know, I can work with a lot of charities and work with mental health and try and like talk to people. But also it's a terrible place as well for young people because I've done quite a lot of talks trying to explain to kids, you know, they go, oh, such and such says I'm fat, such and such says I look like this. And and then mentally that's not good for kids. And I was like, Mm. oh, hang on a minute. Have you met that person? And they go, no, but, and I was like, delete it's delete. So that's the really that's the thing that upsets me about social media is is the bullying that goes on and the fact that sometimes kids who have got mental health issues or you know um, issues with their their body image, all that kind of stuff, it all works up to your mental health anyway. But um, they read something from a stranger and then they react to that and then it goes on to then they're all like crisscrossing conversations about you look like this, you look like that. <laughs> Use social media as a good place. If you mm. don't, if someone says something mean to you, you've got to remember, you don't know that person. Block mm. them, make, report them. I report anyone that says anything mean to anyone. Quite like it, actually. It makes you feel like like the internet police. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 100%. It's, um, I mean, that's one of the biggest fears with me. So I've got a, a young daughter, she's seven. Um, and I'm really, really fearful about the the world that she's going into and what a secondary school is going to be like, because, you know, naturally, you know, being being aware of what you look like and having all the right trainers. And I mean, even now she's asking, mummy, can I have a mobile phone? Because so-and-so's got a mobile phone. And I'm like, nah, you're seven. Forget about it. Yeah. Um, seven? But, you know, but when I was at school, you know, yeah, you still got bullied and these things happened. Like you'd get ridiculed for not having the right trainers and whatnot. But it stopped at the school gates and then you went home and then you could sit and watch the simpsons or you know have ten you know have dinner with your family and then when you you have a reprieve but now it follows you there is no respite it's there constantly there's no escape from it at all um and it's a worry for young people and seven no my daughter didn't um i gave my daughter a phone when she was 16 that's when i got my first phone i think yeah, and I thought um, that was a pretty good age, and also um, it was it was blocked, so she could only phone me and her dad. So if anything went wrong, or, or she maybe fourteen, fifteen, she was still at school. So anything was wrong at school, she could phone her dad or phone me, and that's all the numbers she needed. And we we you know we just sorted that out, so at least we know that she could communicate with us. But you know we grew up without phones, and we're not dead. It, it does freak me out now, though, when I just think like. Oh, I'd have to go to a phone box, and like, mm-hmm. and every now and again I do see a phone box as well, and I just think, who uses that? People I... who need a toilet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. 
<laughs> I love the phone box. <laughs> not, not, not as a toilet. I mean, back in the day when you had to pee. <laughs> I don't pee in them. It's not me. <laughs> but no, no, a phone box. If I needed to make a private phone call, I'd have to go upstairs in my mum's room and use her phone. That was yeah. it. And what one of the bonuses of it was is on the landline is if someone phoned up that you didn't want to speak to, you'd be like, yeah. "Dad, tell him I'm not in." Yeah, <laughs> can't my get dad, away from it. My dad used to do that anyway, even if I didn't even know. And he go, "No, she's not here." Hang out. It's like, what for me? He went, "No," and I was like, "No." It was a boy, so no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so. Oh, I just want to start to sort of move into talking about um, the, the the documentary, and and and, and you know a, a lot of that is about um, when you when when you got sectioned and when when you lost your hair and the impact that that had on your career. And I, I you know I don't want you to sort of feel like you need to go into you know huge detail and and and, and dig up anything uh, you know at length there, Gal. But can you sort of try to sort of put it you know a, a bit of an insight for those that haven't seen the the documentary like not sort of pitch it to them because we're going to put the show notes uh the link to it in the show notes because i want people to watch it because it's, it's a really fantastic uh documentary but can you sort of tell us about the the the, the, the real kind of bones of what what happened that that led to that okay well yeah um so yeah, obviously I've got I've got alopecia. Uh, so my hair fell out. Um, I've been suffering from mental health issues for I mean, as I said, since teenage years. Uh, so hair falling out. Um, working in TV, they didn't really want to touch me because I didn't look right, and I was asked to wear a wig a couple of times, and I thought no, uh, it's just you know maybe one day I might just pop on and night out. I've got a couple of purple, pink ones, whatever. But um, I was just like, no, I'm not. I'm not changing for anybody else. I'm still the same person. So anyway, that all started to go rubbish. So then um, bills were coming in, no work was coming in. So obviously um, I was paying bills, bills, bills. And then um, it's that song, isn't it? Anyway, um, so then I couldn't afford to stay in my house, and I ended up homeless, living on a bench. Uh, that oh that's a song no it's living in a box and then um so after living on a bench after living on a bench for a while um I made a phone call to an ex and said you know what? I'm really struggling with my mental health and um like I put all my stuff into storage it's all I can I can't afford to get it out I've got a bag full of clothes uh, that's it and um he said oh right, I'll phone someone and then the next thing four police officers turned up so instead of phoning someone that could maybe talk to me he phoned the police so the police came took me to hospital dumped me in a room for I think between 12 and 15 hours with one of them standing outside so I couldn't get out and then two doctors came that I'd never met in my entire life and they said I oh, would like your mum or your dad to sign this form to section you because we don't know what to do with you because you've got no home and I said, well, my mum's dead and my dad lives in Spain. So two people that I've never met signed the form to say that they're in charge of me. And then they put me into a section ward. And then this is, I'm, I'm doing it quite quick, haven't I? Okay. And then so they put me in a section ward for, I was supposed to be there for 28 days. And then put me in for about, they let me out after about 15. But all they did was they didn't have any doctors there. Um, there was no doctors. It was just security. And I was, I had a security man outside my bedroom who'd watch me shower 
uh, like literally sit on a seat and watch me shower. And then they'd give me three pills in the morning, three pills in the afternoon, three pills in the evening. And then eventually after day 14 or 15, a whole bunch of doctors came in with their notepads and all the rest of it. And they said, we're really sorry. You shouldn't have been here. You can go now, but you're going to have to take the medication with you because you're going to have withdrawals. And so that kind of, um, yeah, that uh, obviously uh, no one wanted to touch me after that because my phone was hacked before I went in because they took the phone off me. I wasn't allowed a phone, but they knew where I was. So journalists were outside. Journalists were outside my, you know, the places that I was staying, friends, sofas and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, and it all just went kind of like from one bad thing to the next. And then Big Brother, so I was vulnerable, that program. And um, I agreed to do that because I had no money at all. I had nothing. And I thought, well, if I go in there, they're going to like my mental health. They don't care about your mental health. <laughs> uh, so you go in there, make a bit of cash, come rent a, pli- rent a place and then I'll be all right. And so I thought, well, they vote me out after week one. And uh, they kept me in for fucking ages. I was like, oh, sorry, did I swear? I was, I was just yeah, yeah. And they kept me in, and I was like, week three, I was like, Big Brother, please let me out because if you if you walk, you don't get paid. Mm. So yeah, that's one of the yeah. Oh. So anyway, but I'm in this flat now, and it's the same flat that I got when I came out of Big Brother. And then I got asked to do this documentary about mental health and how you get treated, and I jumped at the chance because I thought, you know what, people don't understand. And even when I was doing the documentary, I met five doctors in five days, ten minutes with me. So Doctor One said um, I had bipolar one. Doctor Two said I had bipolar two. Didn't even know there was more than one, but that was great. And then Doctor Three, I was pretty upset because he didn't say bipolar three. And I was like, ooh, this is exciting, bingo. But then Doctor Three, <laughs> Doctor Three said um, I was just um, uh, hyper, hyperactive. And then Doctor Four said I suffered from depression. And the worst one was Doctor Five said I was totally normal. totally. <laughs> <laughs> Get what you're coming from there, Gail. 100 Ten minutes. Ten minutes with five different people. And that was it. I got five different things. <laughs> so what is your official diagnosis now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. Um, to be honest with you, I know that people like to have, some people like labels. Some people want to know things. But some people want to take drugs. I don't want to. I don't want to know what anyone else thinks. If I'm feeling bad, I know I'm feeling bad and I can deal with it. I can go for a run or I can go to a cycle class or something, keep my head down, don't have to speak if I don't want to. Um, but I would not let anyone tell me what I am and what I'm not. So the doctor that said that you were normal and that said that you haven't got a diagnosis, you were frustrated? Nah, it's just like, that was just a bit of a joke. I just thought, oh, oh come okay. on. <laughs> it's just right. like, one, two, three, four, normal. Oh, come oh. I was waiting for psycho <laughs> no uh no it's great normal he was just like yeah you're just normal you're just a little bit up you're a bit down but um i wouldn't give you any medication he went do you want medication i was like no it works for some people but it doesn't work for me i've had it before and after being sectioned the, the stuff that uh, they gave me i was all you manage your mental health independently with like good diet exercise surrounding yeah. yourself with good people rejecting any kind of toxicity and wow. I set alarm, I get Alexa, although Alexa can be a little bit of a bitch because I said to her the other day, she knows I'm single. So anyway, um, I set, I always set the alarm for like six, seven o'clock because I'm up and down all night. She knows because we sort of like text going, what are you doing up at three or five? Uh, so I've got really bad sleep, but I set her to speak to me at six or seven. So even if I feel shit, 
I get up because it's set. And if I don't want to, I'll even just go for a walk down to the bottom of the road, come back. Or if I'm feeling up for it, I'll go for a run. But I need to get outside because I know if I don't go outside, I'm quite happy to stay in my bed if I'm sad. But uh, Alexa, the other day, so, you know, she just picks her own songs. How do I make that stop? So anyway, the other day she said, um, it went, boop, boop, boop. I can buy myself flowers. Fuck you, really. And then I said, oh, Alexa, could you do another alarm in like 20 minutes? And then she's like, okay. And then she goes, do, do, all by myself. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs> this is too much. I'm getting up. I'm out. <laughs> she's picking on me now. It, it, it is weird. Like, I, I'm always a little bit obsessed with like before Alexa when people would have a song as, as their wake up call on their phone. And, uh, and the relationship that you develop with that is a real love-hate one. And our, our, our mutual friend, Gal, uh, Justin, uh, for years, and it was his ringtone as well, do you remember Omar? Like, there's nothing like this. And if you wake up in the morning, it's a lovely thing to wake up. It's that... Brilliant. And I thought, that's a really nice way to to, to wake up. And, uh, <laughs> But then he changed it to the Lighthouse family and we didn't talk about that. I was like, no, no, you can't no. have the Lighthouse family, Justin. No, Nothing wrong with the Lighthouse family. Everything's wrong with the Lighthouse family. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I've got I've got um, Bronski beat and the communards on my phone. Oh, wow. fantastic. What, don't leave me this way? Don't leave me this So every morning. So, so Alexa, I don't know how to tell Alexa to play the communards. I don't understand how to do it. I, I had uh, Sarah Jane Morris from the Communards on Off the Beaten Track last week. Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, and she oh, was absolutely it. wonderful. She was, uh, she was a really, really uh, fascinating uh, uh, individual. Uh, I was actually... What? Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, go on, that was it. Oh, no, no, no. I was literally just saying, I was listening to your 80s podcast. Uh, I think it was June... It's been a little while since I've been able to listen to one and listening to you and um, <clears throat> your co-host talking about, you were just shouting out obscene things to get Alexa to play. Oh, God, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How is he, by the way? He's all right. He's all right. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's doing all right. He's on he's on the road to recovery. Bless him. Um, and so this, this documentary gets put together. Mm. And and I remember when it was happening. You know, you were saying that it was all coming together, and uh, and and it was being edited. And then the next thing we know, Gail Paul was strolling around with a BAFTA. I mean, how was that? <laughs> well, it was just the weirdest thing because it was lockdown, and um, my dad was in the documentary. Um, yeah, because I remember saying to my dad, I was like. I'm sorry if I ever let you down, Dad. You went, no, you just let yourself down. I was like, it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> ended, right? And I said, oh, I might win an award for this. He went, I very much doubt that. <laughs> so anyway, he passed away in Spain just before lockdown. So I've got him in the spare room because he pissed me off. So not not his whole body. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I did it for a tiny wee book. And, um, Good and stuff. Yeah. So I was sitting and then it came up on, on my, I can't remember if it was on something, WhatsApp or Twitter or whatever Twitter, isn't it? Well, it was Twitter then. But um, it just said um, nominations for uh, BAFTAs and it's like, da-da-da, da-da-da, being Gil Porter. And I was like, what? 
okay. So I was thinking, oh, I hope it's not lockdown so I can maybe get dressed up and stuff. But obviously it's lockdown because nothing I can do is going to be properly right. So, um, but yeah. And then, so it was, do you remember we got like a couple of weeks off? Uh, we were actually allowed out and everyone went mental because it's like, oh yeah, we've all been sitting in and looking after each other and wearing masks and making sure that no one touched each other. But you can have two weeks off and you go and fuck strangers in Soho. But it's only two weeks, so we're all going to be fine. So you're like, ah. So um, anyway, I went into um, Soho with my mate. By the way, <laughs> uh, fucking strangers in Soho is a great name for an indie band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like a dirty sea of what? So, so many people like this. Like, I'll kiss you because I've not been out for ages. How is this healthy? But anyway, we went into balance, me and my best, one of my best friends, Emma, and she's got her laptop because we had to watch it online. And um, it was, um, yeah, anyway, it was all on and I went down for a pee and she's like, I think you're up next. And I came up uh, from having a pee and she went, I think you just won a BAFTA. And I was like, you what? And then all these people that were sitting around going, you've just won a BAFTA, we've just seen it on that. And I was like, oh my God, that's weird. Do you want to see it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Ziggy! Not that Ziggy's going to get it. Just see what I feel really bad that girl missed an opportunity to celebrate. Oh my God. That's incredible. Look at that. Love Congratulations, it. Congratulations, Gail. That's amazing. Well, I mean, sure that when I was doing my stand-up, that I say to everyone in the room, I said, we all suffer from mental health issues, problems that we don't talk about. And so I said, when I won that BAFTA, that's not my BAFTA. That is a BAFTA for every single person that suffers from everything. So I actually took it out to my Indian restaurant because the guy was a bit depressed. So I said, do you want it for a bit? And he's like, eh? And I was like, yeah, you can have it. So he had it for a week. And then I took it to the coffee shop and they had it for a week. And then, yeah, I just passed it around the neighbours and that. <laughs> oh, sweet. I mean, in, in in all seriousness, though, Gal, when you got that BAFTA, knowing that you'd shown every inch of your vulnerability in that documentary and the fact that it was loved by everybody that's seen it, and to then have that acknowledged and for somebody that works in entertainment to have that acknowledged in the highest possible accolade, like, how did that make you feel? Well, obviously I felt a bit sick, but then but then I felt a bit like um, someone's listening. People are listening and they're, you know, I know it's just an award and awards are, are, are nothing really, but to get an award like that, just thinks, oh my God, we did something that someone's listened to because there's so many documentaries out there. There's so many mm. TV programs out there that, you know, people go, that was great. That was good. That's lovely. But to actually get nominated was one thing. And then to win it. And I was like, oh my God, you people are listening to mental health. And also you didn't help a lot, tele television folk. You did not help a lot when I was mm. really when I was suffering a little bit, but also it was my fault for not talking up. But then there's a bunch of there's fear about talking in whatever job you're in. But um, so suddenly it's quite nice to watch the, the TV industry are kind of thinking, oh, yeah, we probably had quite a lot to do with that or the media. So yeah. I don't know, weird one. Uh, no. because I think there's there's a lot of industries that do that are taking mental health and the well-being of their workers you know oh, much yeah, more so many, yeah which is I, I mean 
I don't know. I think is, is is TV still lagging behind? Are they still lacking in their responsibility towards their? Oh, I don't work there. I don't. I don't want to do anything. There's nothing I want to do in the telly box, really. No, no. You ain't go. You got a BAFTA. Done it. Yeah, Tip done that it. Box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Completed it. I was asking a bunch of kids the other day there, not random kids, I'm not some sort of weirdo, but um, well, when I say kids, my daughter's friends, who are like 20, 21, still kids, but I was like, you know, if you were to watch TV with a presenter, would you, what would you watch? And they were all like, I don't know, what presenters? I'm like, yeah, because there's nothing really. Kids I mean, don't watch TV. They just watch YouTube. They don't watch mm. TV. YouTube, YouTube. I and mean, even my daughter doesn't, I don't even know if the Love Island is on anymore, but she doesn't even watch that, thank God. Mm. Um, yeah. And I just watch Prime. And I, and I think to, in a, a sort of bit of a uh, pullback to what you just said there, Kirst, about an infrastructure within television now for, for um, you know, the safeguarding of people's mental health. I think Gal mentioned in Love Island there, and that's a prime example that, yeah, Up yeah. until very recently, that wasn't in place. You know, we've seen multiple suicides, haven't we, from people that have been on that show that, you know, and and, and I think in, in if you look at celebrity now, it's so, it's not like somebody's gone to drama school or somebody, you know, you can become a celebrity for multiple means now and, and you can reach incredible levels of fame very quickly. And you know, through the likes of reality television and things like that. And then that rug can get pulled from under you so quickly. And and it must be, and, you know, it, it must be just unimaginable to have that level of exposure and, and the fact that, and to go back to the social media thing as well, like people will watch you on the telly and, you know, these kind of shows, this is when people just jump straight on social media and just tear strips off of these people to, mm. at them. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's not a healthy environment. And, yeah, and I don't know what the industry could, could possibly do to safeguard people from social media because it is a, a relentless and unforgiving place. And I worry about the fact that these kids, you know, they're doing what they want to do, which is, you know, it is what it is. I mean, my God, I was naked for half of the 90s. I, I was a bit, you know, naive. So, you know, I'm one of those people. But I was working as well. And I was doing lots of other things. But these kids are given so much money, so much money, so quickly. And I think, is anybody saying, you know, you see them driving around in all these massive cars and they've got massive houses. You're going, do they, is, is anyone said, you know what, this might not last forever. Mm. This might just be a couple of years and your mental health and you're getting picked on social media or you're, you know, you're wanting to make yourself look different on social media because you want people to think you look a certain way. And I was just like, oh, it's just too much. No, oh, I don't know. It upsets me. I'm glad well, I didn't have social media when I was naked. I'm so glad that didn't exist when I was young. I'm so glad. <laughs> camera phones didn't exist when I was young uh, we'd, we'd be in jail <laughs> <laughs> you I, lo I love the fact that like that there, there would have just been this like prison just full of 90s celebrities that had all finally been accosted for uh, camera footage that's resurfaced <laughs> drunken nights in the grout show <laughs> oh my god that's an idea for a show let's do that <laughs> 
Um, well, look, I mean, it's it's lovely that we're laughing now, and uh, because laughter is obviously a fantastic medicine, and and that's a tenuous link there to to, to move into um, something that when you told me you was doing this, I was like, do you know what? Like, just just I, I you know, we all love you anyway, gal. But now you just think, fucking hell, that's that's amazing. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to do the most terrifying thing on the planet. I am going to do stand-up yeah. at the absolute mecca of stand-up. I'm just going to go and get stuck in and make my debut there. And, I mean, I just thought, like, you go, girl. That is incredible. And if anyone could do it, I know you could. Tell us about where that come from. And, obviously, and how it was. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know what I was thinking of. Um, somewhere, you know, I'm from Edinburgh and I go most years and I love comedy. And then I was a guest a few shows last year and someone said, oh, you should do your own show. And I went, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> that was probably Doctor number four. It's <laughs> 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 a great idea, Gail. Um, so anyway, um, so I thought, yeah. And then somebody contacted me saying, oh, the assembly are interested in having you perform there. Uh, obviously, it's going to cost you a lot. but And I thought, yeah, do you know what? I've gone through enough. So, I mean, it's going to be terrifying, but it could be very funny and it could lead me in a different path because I hate, I, I don't like telly. You know, it's not like the 90s when you had fun and you were so excited to go to work. It's now like, oh, you get a phone call going, would you like to go and keep morning Britain? Not really. <laughs> no. So... No, no offense to Good Morning Britain. I mean, I'm sure everyone's lovely, but you know, they don't pay you. Well, they don't pay me. But um yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I just thought, yeah, do you know what? Edinburgh doing stand-up, because you know, when you're with your mates, like, you know, if I was with you or Justin or Chris and or anyone, and we're all going, Oh my god, we're hilarious as a gang. We're a gang of funny folk. And then I thought, yeah, well, that, how difficult can it be on your own? Yeah, yeah that, that, that's the mad bit there. Because I think when I'm out of my mates, I'm cracking up going, oh, yeah, we, we are we are hilarious. <laughs> should we go on stage and do that? Fuck no. But I love the fact that Paul was like, yeah, why not? Let's do that. Well, what? whereabouts? A little intimate show? Nah, Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> so- Multiple nights. <laughs> So anyway, when I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, they were going, excellent, how many nights? And I went, I'll just do the whole, I'll just do the whole lot. And they went, you know how many nights that is? I went, yeah. And they went, do you want any, do you want any days off? I went, no, 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 <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> and then they went, no, honestly, you need at least one day off because it's it's not normal. And I went, I'm not normal, it's fine. So I did take one day off, which actually... I wasn't sure if it was the best idea because for my mental health, I mean, I was I was anxious every single day. How many um, nights was it? Um, I did 28, but I did two mm-hmm. days before that. Um, I did Aberdour, uh, Aberdour Festival, and then I did somewhere in Glasgow, I think. I can't remember, just to get me ready. And then a day of rehearsals, and then every night, every night, every night. And then actually when I took the one night off, my mental health was actually a little bit worse because I felt anxious because I didn't have something to do. I like being busy. Like living on that adrenaline, yeah. Yeah, because I think that's one thing, my mental health is, if, if I don't have things to do, then I start thinking negative, negative, I'm terrible, 
why sh why should I be here? Uh, no one likes me. This is awful. And when I'm doing stand up, you do worry that people are not going to laugh. But when you get that first bit of laughter, and then you think, oh, this is good. And then when people are enjoying themselves, and I talk to the audience as well, and everyone gets involved, you think, ah. But I think a lot of like, I mean, I'm not a comedian, but I had the best fun, and it was great. And it was sold out most nights. And the last night was the funniest night when everyone was really drunk and they're all from Scotland. And I was like, so anyone want to start? Where did you have your first job? And this woman in the front went, I'll tell you something, you put a right. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, would you like the microphone? She went, aye, I will. I'll tell you about my life, right? And so I gave her the microphone for about 10 minutes. And she was twatted. And I don't actually know what she was talking about, but I just sat on the stage going, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me happy. So, yeah, but like you say, it's the adrenaline thing, isn't it? Because if I don't do anything then I don't think I'm worth anything. And I still think that, even though you know it's not it's not the right way to be thinking. That I went to an event yesterday and I was coming out and I thought, oh God, I wore a dress. Was that the right thing to do? And I had trainers on and these people were young. And I'm walking all the way home thinking, oh my God, I shouldn't have gone. This is terrible. Why do I turn up at these things? I'm just so embarrassing to everyone. And then I, I can't sleep. And then I feel, so I just live off buscapan. <laughs> With stomach cramps. <laughs> I'd literally go up to the, the, the chemist every day and they're going, more buscapan. I was like, oh, my tummy's like this. But I just worry too much about everything. So then when do you get to the points where you go, fuck it, fuck it. I don't care what I look like. I was wearing that dress and trainers. I looked amazing. Who gives a shit what people think? Yeah, it just comes. I, I have certain days when I just think, yeah, do you know what? I rock everything. We're, we're great. It's all good. But then you just get that one day and it knocks you back a couple of days and you think, oh, how that was a bit too loud, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's like if one person says this is about social media as well. One person says something negative, hundreds of people say lots of lovely things. You're going to stick on that one negative. Why did you do that? It's just human nature. It's just what we do. It's bullshit. It's so sad that that's what we um, do. Yeah. So how do you stop all this? Mm. I I I think that um that some of the things that like drive me mad is like oh god did 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 I say did they take that the wrong way? Like when I said that and like, oh God, are they like just thinking what an arsehole I am there? And like... Yes. You're overthinking as well. Like. But, and the bottom line is people have got busy lives. They haven't even given a fuck about me like since I walked out of the room. Like I, they're getting on with their lives. And it's that kind of thing where you just think that you might have said something or you might have done something you might have sort of come across the wrong way but it's like, ultimately they don't care. people don't really care they're just getting on with their lives aren't they and like and you know that 99.9% of the time you haven't but it's just your mind going yeah I shouldn't have said that that, that might have really upset them and like to the point where if you actually went because I, I am the sort of person that would then text and go like when I said that earlier you know that that wasn't like that and they're like I didn't even hear. All yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, I've just well, drove myself there. crazy for two days, and like we didn't uh, notice you were there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that'd be worse. What? That'd be so bad. You were I there. Thought, I thought I was the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, look. Huh? What? <laughs> we've had we've had you for an hour, um, Gal, and it's always oh. such an an absolute joy. Um, chatting to you mate and so BAFTA dubious and we sent you the nice picture oh you bumped into Pip didn't you when you was up there like his mum this morning oh you chatting to his mum 
Yeah, because oh, that's a charity thing that like so he's connected us. So I'm no chat to mum. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, she's lovely, Jenny. She works for some you know Jenny as well, don't you, Kirst? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing something for the Samaritans in February. So I'm hoping because I start my tour in February, but I'm hoping if I'm back, I'm doing a tour. Isn't that mad? Oh, but, I'll, I'll tie it. What's this? I did not know this. Exclusive. Reach out for mental health exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a UK tour, which has just been confirmed this morning. Oh, girl, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, are you coming to the Thameside Theatre in Grey? Yes. <laughs> Hang on two seconds. Now, I know I'm definitely around uh, that, that area. Are you, I doing, know... you going to South End? Yeah, yeah probably. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to South End, I think. I, I've got given 25 venues this morning, so I've not really gone through everything yet. So, And then I, I know I'm doing a Scottish tour in January, I think. So I'm doing Edinburgh, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Inverness, all that lot. And then February, I start the England tour. <laughs> Coming down south. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's so amazing, girl. Like, oh, it's fantastic. Well, look, if, if people want to find out about um where they can come and um watch this, and is it the show that you've done uh, uh, at the Fringe? Well, I've written some more stuff, so I'm going to mix it up a bit, I think. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. So you can phone me on 07... No, I'm <laughs> I haven't got any links yet. So um, so but, it's, I'll find out. I'll let you know. But as I say, it's just like today. So I've got to sign a few things this afternoon. And Oh, girl, that's so exciting. I'm I'm so happy for you, mate. And well, well, of course yeah. you will. Um, oh, yeah. We will... Uh... To be quiet. Who <laughs> <laughs> shouted me? We... Uh... We'll um we'll, we'll tag you in this on 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 the socials. So if people aren't following you already, then they can go and follow you now. And obviously, when the dates get uh, announced, then I'm sure you'll be sharing them on your socials so people can go and find out uh, all about that. Then and our oh, gal is the the twenty third. I'm at the Queer Comedy Club, which is um North London Queer Comedy Club. It's the London's first ever LGBTQ comedy club and nightclub and anyway it was the first ever one but I'm doing stand-up there but it's not long I think there's about 10 of us performing so I think I'm only doing like half an hour but I'll be there on the 23rd for fun 23rd of September yeah fantastic excellent gal thank you so much mate it's always lovely talking to you see you soon I will just speak to you on zoom no no you're you're getting you're going to come and get in the camper and I'll tell you what we'll get in the camper we'll have an adventure and we'll go to Norwich to meet Alan Partridge Oh my god, can we do that? Absolutely. Do it. Oh my god, that'd be the best thing ever. That's a whole just tiny little YouTube thing. Absolutely. Oh my god, that's in a camper van. Oh my god, it's gonna be so clean because I'll bring all the cleaning products. Amazing. So excited. I love that. What what did Gal bring to the table? Uh Domestos, uh wipes. <laughs> Silly and then Greece is born. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Look, I'm going to press stop, but don't go anywhere. Thank you so much for coming on, Gail. No problem. <laughs>